0: Do you have notes, Savon?
1: I don't. Okay. Not not and I don't have notes that I sent you. Is that a trip this morning or what?
0: Yeah, it's kind of trippy. Freaking me out, man.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm
0: just uh good
1: morning, everyone. Bam, we're live. Craig, I can't believe you're actually on, to be honest. <laughs> um uh the, the book is the longest kill. I listened to the audio version. Um have you actually have you listened to your own book?
2: Um no.
1: The, the guy <laughs> but, who the guy who reads it is that you?
2: No, it's not. No. It's somebody that the um the publishers would hire to read the book.
1: Did you ever meet that dude? He is amazing.
2: Yeah, he's I've heard he's got a good voice. Yeah, he does it really well.
1: C- Craig, he and and when you do um uh when, when you talk in other like char- when you have other characters talk, he changes his voice. Yeah. Like he uses different voices for different people. Like he's got a voice for you and then he's got It's I w- it was one of those books that I was listening to and I'm like, and it's it's a long book and I was very thankful for that. But then I was like, man, I kind of don't want this to end. And I listened to it at regular speed. Most books I listen to like at 1.25. This is an incredible story. I, I mean, I can't even believe it's real. It's real, right?
2: Yeah, it's real. Everything's real. Yeah. I try to keep as much realism as, is, you know, and um, they kept it all in there. So I was looking for that. Uh,
1: Another interesting thing is in the last three days, I've listened to a bunch of other podcasts. I was in the uh, – I drove from California to Arizona, which is about a 12-hour drive, and I listened to a bunch of other podcasts you were on, and um, the the book to me isn't even about the longest kill. Like I, I every time you mention it in the, one of these podcasts, I'm like, I don't – that part is just like a – like a, a
2: speck. Yeah, that, that was the whole reason of bought in the book, you know, because – I think the Americans did something on YouTube and they portrayed my shot and they uh-huh. got it totally wrong. So, oh, they did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was encouraged to um, write the book, but I couldn't do it just about the shot because it'd be like a pamphlet. So I did it about my whole life really.
1: I'm, I'm going to jump way ahead here. Is, is your mom still
2: alive? Yes, she is. Yeah.
1: Has she read the book?
2: Um, she doesn't talk to me no more. <laughs> okay. No. No, uh, from um, previous experiences uh, that has gone on in my life, so we've sort of lost contact with each other, really. So, Yeah, I, um, that part
1: of the book in the beginning. So just so you know, for those of you who haven't read the book, and I know I've been telling you guys for weeks that we would get Craig, you probably guys didn't believe me, but here he is, bam. And uh, the it, it basically starts from his childhood up until the, you know, I don't know a handful of years ago, and uh, there's no two parts of the book that are kind of the same. Can you what 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 was your childhood like? Where were you born?
2: Uh, Cheltenham. It's uh, near the Cotswolds, uh, down uh, probably the east side. No, sorry, the west side of uh, England, near Wales. Um, nice place. My childhood was all right. You know, it was good. My mum was very strict, uh, like a Victorian mum. Was your childhood
1: good or was it the only childhood you know? Because when I hear you say that in other podcasts, I'm like, dude, I don't know if your childhood was good. I mean, isn't – like those were hard – by the way, I'm not telling you guys this because um, the guys on the show, you have to listen to this book, The Longest Kill. If there's only just like one military biography journey, you want to learn about war and what it's like to be a man and just – this is – the book you will no one's going to be like hey seven i wish you didn't have me read that like you are going to be so thankful you listen to this book uh so what, what was it a good life was your mom uh affectionate was she like no, loving we, and she, no.
2: she wasn't affectionate no she wasn't that sort of uh, lady um but she um, she worked hard and she provided for me and my brother uh-huh. you know we're, we're a single parent family and in them days, you know, back in the 80s or 70s, it was quite hard to bring up two children, single parent. But she did well. And, um, yeah, I'm proud of her, yeah. And, and do you wish you talked to her now? Um, I miss her. Yeah. I really miss her. Yeah, but um, there's too much water under the bridge, as I say, to um, kindle a relationship back again, So, which is sad, you know. I, in the book, I didn't
1: see you. You never did anything to her. You, you weren't a bad um, son, what's your deal deal with you? Why is she so angry at you? Sorry to just dig in. No, no,
2: no worries. Uh, Because I got blown up in Afghan and, um, I was brought back to England and into Birmingham. Um, it's a military hospital where all the casualties go. And, um, she never visited me. And, and I wanted to know why she never came to visit me and she never really gave me an answer. And then, um, I think one phone call I had with her, I was talking to her. And at the end of the phone call, I said, Mum, I just want to know, why you never came to the hospital to see me? And she told me to fuck off and put the phone down. I never spoke to her since.
1: Wow, but the book there's there's a handful of those moments in the book, right? Like when you deploy, she's not there. When you come nope. home, nope. you have no one there to greet you like the other soldiers. Nope. Um, uh, you, you when you would come home and uh you wouldn't have a place to stay, like you'd be on leave.
2: And yeah, she'd yeah.
1: Basically, be like, "Hey, get out of here! You're not welcome at the house." Yeah,
2: and- yeah. yeah. Basically, uh, or she make me pay rent, you know. And um it was horrendous. You should stay there the week, and she goes, "Well, you owe me three hundred and fifty pound." which is about $400, yeah. you know, and um, she would say that. And I thought, no, nah, fuck it. Why do I need this? I'm a grown man. I might as well stay in camp, you know. And there were other lads in camp as well who families disowned them or they didn't have family. So we sort of became a close unit, you know, every time leave came. So, yeah. Hey, you look great. Are you are you training regularly? Are you still training? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day I'll get up at, um, probably half past three in the morning every uh-huh. day. All weekends and um, yeah, I just train. Um, I spend about hour and a half, two hours in the gym, and then I go to work. You're working? Yeah, yeah. I work nine hours a day. Yeah. No
1: shit. Yeah. Please tell me, like, what are you doing? Please tell me, like, you work in like a nursery, you, like you plant trees, or you write books, or what? what you're an artist?
2: No, no. I work in a just a factory making parts for uh, engines and all that. That's all I do. So, it, it, well, no shit.
1: Yeah. Um, uh,
2: does that keep you sane? I struggle. I have my bad days, you Yeah, know, I have my good days, but yeah, I do struggle with my mental health doing that because you think the army, you're moving a thousand miles an hour, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing that. And then you leave the army and everything just slows down to a crawl. So everything that you've experienced in the army rushes you and you can't control your mental thoughts. And that's how PTSD happens. And, you know, mental health. Hey, um,
1: do you work out of necessity, um, or or uh, just because you you want to?
2: I well, I used to work out a lot in the army, so it became. I,
1: I, sorry, I don't mean work. I don't mean work out. I oh, mean um, uh, uh, job. Your vocation. Your work. Okay. like my, Yeah do you, do you do that job? The nine hour a uh, uh, day job. From just because. Just, you-
2: yeah, I couldn't. I, I have to be doing something. Did do you need the money? No, not really.
1: Oh, okay. Really? That no, makes me more. feel better. Dude, you've done your part. Yeah. You have done your part. Uh, it It is absolutely nuts. Hey, is, is the book a bestseller?
2: Um, it was, yeah. It was one of the top 10 bestsellers in England. Yeah, it did really well. And it's yeah. still selling now. It's still selling now. So, yeah. God,
1: that makes me so happy to hear. And um, the... This, there's there's a, a competition going on in my head for for questions i want to ask you
2: no no far away
1: settle down i have to tell the voices in my head to settle down They're, they everyone's like over here over here me ask them this um it, has it been made into a movie or is there talk
2: i wish it would. you know I, i'd love to break it into a movie it'd be fantastic you know because you were obviously america had the american sniper or chris kyle yeah you know yeah. be a nice one to have one in england as well you know so
1: um, the story is so, uh, uh, rich and layered and and um and all encompassing. The character development and how much people will get to know you is, I mean, it, it's a fool. It's not like, hey, here's Craig, um, and he goes to the uh, army and becomes a sniper. I mean, even how you became a sniper, just all the shit you had to deal with. Yeah for yeah. all those years and people basically t- treating you like you're an idiot yeah. and all the hardship you had to do and then you still became one is absolutely nuts
2: yeah I just I stuck by my guns do you know what I mean and it's what I wanted to do and um, because I was a country boy anyway you know and I believed it I loved the countryside I believed in it and um, I just stuck by my guns and yeah they finally gave in and gave me the opportunity to become a sniper how, how long were you in when that happened um, well uh, before oh it must have been in a good 12 13 years
1: yeah so like most guys would be retiring you were starting a new yeah yeah a new life in the army
2: yeah for sure yeah um do, do you you have a daughter um i got two daughters yeah oh you
1: do okay yeah
2: how old are your daughters oh one's 35 and the other one's 20 26 oh shit are or either of them living at home with you still no no they both flew the coop you know a it, long time ago yeah.
1: And how's your relationship with them?
2: Um, good. Yeah, really good. Yeah. They, um, they're, they're my stepdaughters, uh, but because my wife was married before and they were such a young age, I took them on and I look at them as my daughters now, you know, and um, yeah, I, I love them. I love them both and they're doing really well for themselves, you know, and they, they think the same as me, you know, they worry about me. It natural, but, um, you know, yeah, it's all good.
1: I, I want to ask you about um, – you were in the army, and there's a scene in the book where you decide to leave and try to join the French Foreign Legion.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I'm listening to this, and that's where my brain's like, this cannot be real. I mean, what what, what were you thinking? I, I mean, this feels like something that would happen like in 1865.
2: Yeah, right? no, Not- no. It, it was. Well, I joined the army but to become a farrier. Um, to put shoes on horses to a blacksmith and that's what I joined the army for because there was no civilians taken on apprenticeships in England so well where I lived in Cheltenham, so I said join the army and join the household cavalry which did horses and become a farrier stay there get a trade leave you know become self-employed but it never worked out like that You know, and my face didn't fit. Plus me being dyslexic as well, you know, all the homework they give you, the written work, I did more illustration work more than written and it wasn't good enough for them. So my face didn't fit and I was coming up to 19 years old and I just thought, is this what it's about? Is this it for me? You know, just stuck here in Knightsbridge doing horses and this and that. And it's boring. It wasn't exhilarating for me. Um, because I never because my regiment is split into two. So you have the ceremonial side which protects the Queen and then you have the armored side which do forward reconnaissance. Um, so I was stuck on the ceremonial side and I never experienced the, the reconnaissance side yet. So I thought, fuck it, I joined the Foreign Legion. So I went AWOL and joined the Foreign Legion. Yeah. I wasn't there long. Don't believe me. I wasn't there long because I was honest. I'm an honest person. And I said to them, I'm AWOL from the British army. And because they looked into it and they knew I was AWOL years and years ago, they used to take murders, rapists, AWOL people from AWOL, but they don't do it anymore. And so they sent me back, you know, I was there for about four weeks going through the training and they sent me back. And, um, yeah, I got back to England. I thought, what do I do now? I said, I might as well hand myself back in because I'm AWOL from the British Army. And went to my camp in Knightsbridge in London, handed myself in, and they put me in jail for 14 days.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: um, K- Caleb, Caleb's in the uh, U.S. Air Force. Caleb, have you ever known anyone in, um, in the military to go AWOL?
0: No, I can't say that I've ever. No. But also for us, like AWOL is like four – like you have to be gone for like months nobody does that yeah.
1: but but um so dudes will just leave and be drunk and like get a DUI and go to jail and you won't see him for a month and then they'll come back and they'll be like where were you and they'll be like I was in jail will you see that
0: Caleb mm, I can't say that I've personally seen it but I've heard stories about it yeah they're just like I mean they get in pretty serious trouble but they're not um, but- AWOL
1: Craig, this is kind of how I picture it. This is my naiveness. You're basically at summer camp with 20 dudes. That's being in the military to me. And then one night in the middle of the night, you get a stick when you put like a little red handkerchief on it and you put like some underwear in there and you snuck out in the middle of the night.
2: Yeah, basically. Yeah.
1: And you and you crossed whatever that body of water is between the UK yeah, and the, fr-
2: France. Yeah, the English Channel. Yeah. And you
1: found some dude, and you walked into an office that said French Foreign Legion. And you're like, sign me up.
2: It's funny because you can go to any police station and say, I want to join the Foreign Legion. And they will, um, they say, okay, then wait here. And you wait there in this police station until there's enough people to, so the Foreign Legion will be bothered enough to pick you up. So you can be there for weeks on end. I think I was there. I think I was there uh, just over a week and I was in a boiler suit and i remember working because i had to work for to keep my keep at this police station and i was sleeping in the cells waiting for the Foreign legion to pick me up and i was working in an old folks home an old people's home and i used to sweep the roads and then at the night we would go back to the police station and just sleep there they feed us crappy food for our keep and then the yeah. same morning do it again and do it again and it turned out there were six other people that tipped up wanted to join the fallen legion and then eventually the fallen legion came round with a big truck picked us up and uh took us off to the recruiting and, and did you
1: how how far did you make it i guess in, in three or four weeks um there how far did you uh
2: um, i did four weeks in the legion itself and i did a week or just over a week and at a bit with um uh, the uh, in the police station itself. Look at that! No
1: vaccination required. Sounds like some good. Those are some good dudes. Sign yeah. up. Yeah, I love those guys. Uh and uh, and and you started going through the training, like whatever that is. Like they issued you the clothes, and like you started training with the with the
2: French. Yeah, well, they, t- they take your clothes off you, give you a tracksuit, uh, uh-huh. they give you a, a mental test, they give you a physical test, they give you a written test. Um. Uh, yeah, fitness tests, and then the, then you get interviewed. And when you are interviewed, you got to tell them the truth. And I told them the truth. And they are, you can you, they give you a different identity, so they change your name, and wow. they usually give you a number like un deux trois, so it'd be like you're now un or you're now trois, you okay. know, and that'd be your French. Or, or they give you a different name, and I was honest with them to begin with. And so uh, some days I wish I fucking wasn't, I'd be still there, you know, but uh, how, how you don't know where the life would have gone if I'd have stayed there. Yeah.
1: um, Do you like your life when you look at it? You're like, Hey, this is my trip on planet earth.
2: Um, I hate, I hate having PTSD. Uh I hate having images in my head for what I've achieved as a sniper. You know, people say that snipering is a trade. It's a good trade to have. It's not; it's a curse because it mentally destroys you for what you do. You know, you're taking people's lives, and it's individual lives that you're taking because you've got that scope on that rifle. Uh You're a precision shooter. You're not like got a gun; you're just spraying everywhere. You know, you're actually taking a a somebody out, and it affects you. Yeah, it does affect you. Yeah, you're you're not.
1: um, I think maybe in in one of the interviews. Uh, you said um, it's unnatural to kill.
2: It is unnatural to kill for human beings, unnatural. And I think if you enjoy it and you start enjoying it, there's something wrong with you, you know, and basically I started looking at them as targets, not people. Cause if you start looking at, them at people, you start having feelings, you start having remorse and guilt and things like that. So if you go on a mission, just think of them as targets, think of them as targets. You need to complete this mission you know and once that mission's complete that's it you need to forget what you've done and just come away from it and then wait for the next mission to come come on you
1: there was something you said that was pretty poetic in the book in um one of the first it was before you were a sniper and um i apologize i can't remember exactly what it is but I think you referred to the snipers. You weren't even really like soldiers. You were just tools. You weren't you weren't people anymore. You were just a you're a weapon. You were part yeah. You're a weapon.
2: You're a weapon. So basically, from from the first world war, second world war, you know, going on for all the conflicts. As soon as a conflict finishes, like the second or first world war, you know, snipers were disbanded. You know, there's no such of thing as snipers. And then another conflict would come. They'd bring snipers in again. Because snipe, snipers can fuck your day up. You know, you don't know where they are. You don't know what they're doing. And they can lay in wait up to 72 hours and wait for that target to appear. And they can fuck your life around. I remember being on an exercise in Canada and massive exercise. It's like £6 million, this exercise. You know, it's like $8 million. Year. And um, these two snipers held the whole of the battle group up. Now battle group is over 3000 people in vehicles and everything. And these two snipers just fucked them, you know, and we wore these vests. So if the sniper rifle got shot, it would make the bang, but it would send out a laser to hit the vest and it would beep to, you know, to simulate you've been shot. And they just decimated the whole battle group, you know, and it got to the point where the instructors had to go up to them and say, look, you know, give it a rest, you know, walk away because you, they're not Shit. yeah, oh, because they're not, they're not they're not completely in the exercise. You're fucking the exercise up basically. But that's the job of a sniper, you know. A job of a sniper is to gather lifetime information on the battlefield. So you're gathering as much information as possible because you're sneaky, you're trying to creep in there. It's not to shoot someone, that's your second mission, you know, and that's what people need to remember of a sniper is you know, you need to. Hey, that's a Tezex kit. Yeah, it's called Tezex. Yeah, and it will only stop beeping if you lay down. The- <laughs> you know what I tripped on in the book too
1: is the characterization, and I and I want to get back to the killing thing, but um, uh, the taking life things. But um, you were you were kind of like an entrepreneur. What was the most guy? You were in charge of a lot of guys but I was really surprised at I don't know if this is the right word, the autonomy you had.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer that you work as a close group. Now, I had 16 guys, in, and I was in charge of 16 guys. What's that called,
1: 16? Is that like a platoon? What is that? A troop. It's a, a troop. troop.
2: Okay. Yeah. And then um, I'm in charge of them. So basically, if one of them gets injured, I feel... It's my fault because I've put them in that position to get injured. And it's, it's hard to explain, especially if, when you start. Oh, blaming, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. You start blaming yourself and stuff like that. Yeah. So I had 16 guys in, in charge of me and I wanted us to be a close unit, you know, and they didn't call me Sergeant or Sergeant Harrison. They called me Craig because I want that closeness. And if you have the closeness with your men, they will follow you to fucking hell and back because they believe in you you know, but if you fuck them around and you've got no time for them, when you're in a firefight, they could, they could leave you there, you know? Right. Um, But I trained my men so well, you know, fitness wise, mentally wise and everything that they were prepared to go on tour and die for each other, you know? And that's what I wanted. And I achieved that.
1: There would be times where in the book where you would basically, at least to me, it seemed like this, um, Someone would give you some assignment like, hey, you need to watch this. It would be a pretty vague assignment. And you would just basically walk off 100 yards, um, g- camouflage yourself, uh, lie down, um, piss and shit in a bag. And then and then when you saw a target or you saw what you called a, a dicky, those are the guys on a the motorcycle. A dicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a dicker, a guy on a motorcycle with a walkie-talkie who's like basically a, a bad guy. He's like their scout, right?
2: Yeah, for sure, yeah.
1: And then you would you would just extinguish the guy yeah yeah and then there would be other times where there would literally just be targets everywhere and you would just be just picking guys off which in the book if i recall correctly would just be for hours
2: yeah you'd be some missions the mission of
1: so no one's even the- telling you, "Hey, get that guy, get no. that guy, get that guy." You're just no. out there. It's almost like you're like you're shooting rabbits in a field. They're like, "Hey, these rabbits are yeah, getting holes in our houses you've got that guys.
2: scope on your rifle, yeah. you can PID them, personally. Ident- you oh. can personally identify that target as an insertion with a weapon. Uh-huh. So you've got all the you've got the green light to take that target out. You know. And that's one thing good about being a sniper is your scope. You, know, you can PID all these insurgents doing what they're doing. Yeah, and it's it's hard sometimes, you know, that you when you go on a mission, you have the high ground as a sniper, and you're looking down and you're watching the patrol go in, but you're also watching the insurgents queue up for that attack as well. So if you engage them before they engage the patrol, you know, you know, you're winning. They they fucking hated us out there. Absolutely hated us. That one shot. As soon as they hear that one fucking shot, they, they scatter. They go everywhere because they know there's a sniper in the mountains. Yeah,
1: yeah it sounds it sounds absolutely horrible to be on the, the other side of that. How do you ID? How do you ID them? So now I'm picturing you on maybe like a hill, and there's a compound, yep. and basically that's where the bad guys are. Yep. And not only are you picking guys off, but any movement you see, you also report back, right? You're yeah, on like any, some any channel.
2: Like like I said, you know, the first option is to report back as possible, you know. But if you see insurgents with an RPG or carrying a gun and they're about to attack um, the patrol, you can take that target out, you know. But and, and- if, I, if I was in a crowd and they're all throwing stones at us, then somebody threw a hand grenade at us. We we haven't got a leg to stand on because you have to prove which one threw the hand grenade, which one threw the stone. You know, so your hands are tied in some circumstances. But when it comes to weapon systems, a sniper is, you know, he holds his own on the ground.
1: Um, You you don't know how many people you kill, do you?
2: I do, but I don't want to say. But it's not it's not all about killing, right? You know, it's not all about the kill.
1: I I just feel like there was a point in the book where. you had been out there for so many hours that if I recall correctly, you said you lost count.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so later on, somehow you figure out what it is after the fight's over, you go down there and make sure you get the count.
2: Yep, You're not counting the bodies. You're trying to get their weapons off them because you don't want them weapons to go back into their hands again. You know,
1: D- did you ever cry um, on the battlefield uh, no. after killing someone? No, no, you don't let that sneak in. You're You're not like, Oh, that was someone's son. You don't let that sneak in.
2: No, you can't. You, yeah. you, you can't. As soon as yeah. you let that slip into you, you're 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 jeopardizing that mission. You know, you you won't squeeze that trigger to take the target out because you're you got you having second thoughts. You need to be positive, confident, and squeeze that trigger.
1: My knowledge of biology is pretty limited, but there are these cells in your body that are called NK cells. They're natural killer cells. And they're a pretty big first line of defense. They can kill anything in, in your body. And if um and that they don't die themselves, they can remove cancers, they can kill COVID, they can kill anything, especially if they're free to move around. If if you know if you're a healthy person, you're not obese, these cells move around and, and they can uh, they can pretty much kill anything. And then, then we know that there's other cells in people's bodies that are like cancer cells, right? Yeah. And it's it's interesting from their perspective, the bad guys' perspective, you're a cancer cell. Yeah. But from your team, you're an NK cell. You're a natural killer cell. You, your yeah. job is to is to yeah. is to protect the body from uh, any any diseases as exactly. a whole. Exactly. You're uh, that, that main, troop.
2: You're that main protection. You know. Yeah.
1: It's it's the first. And what's funny is is people don't ever. Um. Little off subject here, but that a lot of people don't even view especially in modern society with all the nonsense around covid they don't even view nk cells as part of the immune system even though they're the first line of defense yeah when um did did you ever get in trouble for for killing someone did anyone ever talk to you no 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 and and that that's uh that that's a big deal right did everyone know i got the impression that um you were very well respected amongst your peers
2: yeah. I, yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah. They, I'm just, I don't know. My wife says I'm a likable guy. I've got an, You're a, a very likable guy. And yes. an, was it a, an indi- um, indicative personality? So people are drawn to me, you know, and they like being in my company and I enjoy it. You know, I like being in people's company. You're,
1: you're how tall are you?
2: Six, four, six or four. And and do you know how much you weigh in
1: pounds, or maybe Caleb can do the conversion? What, do
2: you I'm know? I'm nineteen stone. So I don't want to say.
1: What's it what's it nineteen stone? That sounds big. And and how long have you been married?
2: Uh nineteen years.
1: Wow, that's crazy. And how long yeah. have you known her?
2: Uh twenty one years. And and you served for twenty three years. Twenty three years, yeah.
1: Holy shit. You're huge. <laughs> wow. Um, w- when you work out, uh, what, what do you do? What are your, what are your, some of your movements? Is it just traditional working out? Like yeah. Bench I, keep,
2: and- I keep it old school, you know, I'm not into yes. this CrossFit or anything. I, Cause I just had two hip replacements. Okay. So I've got two false hips. So there's, I'm limited to movement that I can do, but I just, I keep old school and just slam the weights around, you know, and I enjoy it. Pull-ups. Yeah, I can do pull-ups. Yeah, chin-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, everything. Push-ups? Yep.
1: Any squatting? Do you do any squatting?
2: I, I can do, but I'm limited how deep I can go on my squat due to right. my hip, because my hip will pop out,
1: you know? And, and what about running? Do you run anymore?
2: No, no. I want to st- – this year I'll start running, I think. Let my hips settle down, you know, and then start doing a bit of jogging, because I miss jogging. I miss it, you know?
1: Um, How about um uh, shooting? Do you ever do any shooting?
2: I used to, I used to do a lot of shooting, but, um, it's funny. England's very tight on it. If you've got mental health issues or PTSD, they will not give you a gun license, you know? And, um, so that's it. I don't, I don't shoot anymore. Did you ever think about leaving the country and coming to the United States? I lived in the United States for three years. What, what years were those? Um, 2015, 16, to 2018. Oh, what were you doing there? Um, weaponry, uh, teaching um, snipers how to shoot long range, down in Quantico, um, oh, wow. building sniper rifles, stuff like that. You know, yeah. and I was, and the only reason I came back because Trump's new policy, "Make America Great Again," they wouldn't yeah. renew my visa, so they sent me back again.
1: Hey, you can just come. You can come back in now. Just go through Mexico. We're letting everyone. That's in. it. That's it. <laughs> just come back around. The the fence is down, and uh, you are welcome to. Uh, what a crazy world! Yeah. Oh my goodness.
2: Because I got um I got death threats. That's why we moved to America. Um. So
1: that's where to- that's where you did your okay. So that's another part that um talked about in the book. You, you can. I'll set this up a little bit, and then you can tell us when you came back from the war. Can you tell us what happened?
2: Um, basically, uh, we have a medals parade, a big parade. You know, you get your Afghan medal, and then the media is there, and they they talk to you basically. But they need to be um, escorted around the camp by somebody, an officer who's in charge of the media, and this never happened. Um, and so I spoke to this media guy, and my lads saw the most action out there because they were using us to fracturize the flat, means um, fracture the forward line of enemy troops to find where the insurgents are. And so we had a lot of combat stories, and we were telling this media guy, and I told him my stories about sniping. And it just, and this was on the Friday, and on the Sunday, I opened the newspaper and it was all about me breaking the world record, which I never knew about, you know, um, because I told them the stories. And then the week on from there, um, I started getting death threats through the media paper saying they wanted to cut my head off uh, for what I've achieved in Afghan. Uh, They wanted to kidnap a Muslim soldier uh, and make a uh, sort of like statement through him. Um, So we moved out of our house we went into secure housing, but they weren't supposed to show your face or your no, name. No, not at all. Not at all. It, it, so basically, when the story happens, it goes to the Army London District Media Ops in London, and they censor everything going on. And it never—it just went straight past them. It went straight to print. So my name, my daughter's names, my dog, my wife's, where I live, everything was did just. You think the, the
1: reporter did that on purpose, Craig?
2: No, I don't think he realized what he was doing. To be honest with you, okay yeah yeah he tried to reach out to me when it happened, but I wasn't interested in talking to him. I thought no fuck you i'm not not interested. damage is being done. what can you do you know so how how serious were the death threats very bad yeah 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 they they found a um in Birmingham um which is north of here, they found a a car lined out at the the uh what do you call it the trunk? yeah, the trunk was all lined out with plastic. Um, and there was a picture of me uh, in the car to kidnap me and put me in the back of this car. So, yeah, and the police unfoiled that. So. And and the book, by
1: the way, there's a whole section in the book about that, of him moving from one house to another for safety and what a shit show that was and the lack of support yeah. he received yeah. and having to sneak around and, and having a child to protect during all that and and also then also trying to uh, manage your relationship with your wife
2: Do you know i don't i don't care about me i don't oh. care about me if they want it bring it on you know it was the fact that my family were involved and that was the most upsetting thing that my family were involved
1: is there is there any part of this that's um i uh you know how like something like, you know, how when you're a little kid, like you shit your pants and it sucks, but then like you tell the story 10 years later and it's a great story. It's funny.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, is there any part of this that as time goes on, you're, you're able to enjoy like the shit stories. Now flowers are coming from those beds of manure. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. Um, Some stories, you know, some stories are good. The camaraderie and stuff like that, but stuff that I've done. You know, I don't think taking lives should be celebrated by a joke or anything. You know, right. or um, my death threats—they were real. You know, and to laugh about it, I think it would be wrong to do because it was so fucking real, and it damaged my wife, it damaged my two girls, it damaged everything. Yeah. Really,
1: there, there was a um, a guy I had on the show. My memory's so bad. He was a, um, a paratrooper. Do you remember his name, Roger something? Uh, Caleb, you remember uh, that guy's name? Let me look him up. It, 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 anyway, I, re- I read his book also. And one of the things he talks about is how uh, some of the soldiers would process stuff. Mm-hmm. So he says they would be in a helicopter. They would go somewhere. Two of the guys would be best friends. His Roger friend Sparks. Would, Roger Sparks. He's a PJ. What, uh, one of his friends would, uh, one of the guys would get killed, and the other guy would say on the flight back, he deserved it. He was a piece of shit anyway, even though it was like his best friend. That he had to do that, he had to say that to like process it, because the other way to face that his friend died was uh, uh, unpalatable, right? It, sort of this, this sort of like this uh, bravado.
2: That's a crazy method of doing it. That's a crazy. Crazy,
1: method. right? I mean, because it has to resurface at some point, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a crazy way of doing it. If he's your friend, he's your friend, you know. He's and, if he's, and if he's died, you know, you should be become a better soldier from it, you know, and go out there and do your missions 100% better than he did but to revenge his death in, in some sort of ways, you know. But to say that is, you know, is a bit cold, a bit cold
1: um why why is um can, can you tell me about what haunts you what that looks like
2: i've got images i have um yeah does Obviously, it help
1: to talk about it by the way too yeah. like when
2: you do these interviews and, yeah, and, you, and you, I, yeah i don't mind talking about it because it sort of releases it and, in a way you know because i've killed people you know and i've gone up to people and and checked them and to make sure you know, Ideum and make sure the weapon's gone and we take the weapon away and stuff like that. There's loads of stuff. And I think about it all the time. I think about people that I've killed. You know, I think about people that my friends that have died, you know, either through suicide or over or, or from uh, doing tours and dying, you know, hitting IDs and still being shot. I think about it all the time, all the time. I daydream about the shit. I don't daydream about the good stuff. And that's the difference between PTSD and not having PTSD because I dream about the crap that I've, that I've done and the devastation that I've done. And now, now I've slowed down. I've got guilt. You know, I've got remorse and I'm, I'm fucking sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, but that's all I can say is, you know, and, when, yeah. when
1: you say when you say you, um, Craig, when you say you daydream, um, wh- what does that even what does that mean? What does that look like? I'm trying I'm trying to understand if if I do anything like that, but it has nothing to you know I I haven't done those things. Like for me, is it like, am I going to be late to pick my kids up from school? But and you you're just saying like you'll be at work and you'll start having memories of being. Um, at your other job yeah. when you were deployed yeah, and like, you're down on your stomach so and the, you're so it spark
2: it. like a, like a yeah like a bang that would spark it um it, it, it spark an image in my head for instance right, i um i was um driving my car and it absolutely pissing down with rain rain and wind Wife was low intensity and, and um, Mind strike happening, in my vehicle when I was in Kosovo. And it hit some like you're throwing a bucket from it. And um, a car went through a puddle and it splashed my car. And it brought me fucking right there, right there where these people had died. And the only thing that brought me around was the brake lights on the vehicle in front of me it brought me, wow. I was inches away, flash, you know, and I could smell, I could taste, you know, everything that you, you feel. You, you so When you have a flashback, when you daydream, you're there, you're there, you're looking down at you in that position you're looking down at you doing what you're doing and you could taste the sand, the dust. You can, you can feel the sweat and you get like, um, like you're feeling hungry, like an anxiety feeling in the stomach, you know? And, and then you just daydream your miles away and then you come out of it. And it's hard to, my wife's always there for me. If I have a, an attack like that, I have to ring her straight away. And I'm, 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 I'm a broken man. You know, I, you know, but she helps. So um,
1: it's so realistic. It's like you just lived it. Like, um, uh, sorry for using such a horrible example, but I had this girlfriend in in college and she would have these dreams. I was cheating on her. And she says they were so real that she, I mean, she'd be mean to me for days like I really did it. And yeah. what you're saying is, is like when you have these flashbacks, it confuses what's real that you're just in England driving in your car with yep. the past. The, the images are so vivid that you, the part of you had to just go through that shit again.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like you open the front door and you step into another world. That's exactly what it's like, you know? And it, it's fucking horrible. Horrible that you have to live your life like that, you know? And it could be anything. Anything will will kick it off. Anything.
1: Yeah. Do you get to take any pride or do you get to be like, is there anything, any parts of your day where you're like, man, I really, uh, I can't believe how many people I saved. I can't believe what a great shot I am. I've worked so hard. I, had to, Man, my, my um, even without my, my mom being there for me, I raised two daughters and I love them. And God, I've done, saved so many lives in this country and think of all, all, how much freedom I've preserved. And is there any, any part of you gets to gets to ride any ego high?
2: No. Not no. at all. I, I've got a very low esteem of myself. Yeah. Very low. And when I left the army, I had no purpose in life because uh. I joined the army when I was 16 years old. You know, I did a year's training. I joined the regiment when I was 17. You know, I got deployed in my uh, 22 or something. It was my first deployment to Bosnia, you know. And yeah, I've got, and you're moving. Like I said before, you're moving, you're busy, everything. And once you leave the army, I felt I've got no purpose in life. I've got no purpose. Who the fuck am I? You know, I'm just fucking, just me. And so I felt suicidal. And, you know, and if I would have took my life, it would have been then and then when I left the army because no purpose. I don't get me wrong, I still feel it now. I have days where I wake up in the morning and I think, what the fuck am I doing? What the fuck am I doing? You know, because the army was 23 years of my fucking life. It was my life. And it was packed full of stuff. And now I'm out in civilian street and civilian street doesn't give you the rush that the army used to, you know, or fill that void that the army does. It never will. And I'd always have that guilt, remorse and no purpose, no purpose in life. You Uh, know.
1: I don't want to, um, I don't know what the word is, mischaracterize the book. But you have to know this book, uh, The Longest Kill, there's nothing, at least when I read it, there's nothing depressing about it. So no one should not read it because it's, I mean, it's an adventure. And it's it's a story, at least the way I read it, and it's different now talking to you. But it's a man who wanted to be the best at everything he did whether it was um cl- keeping his rifle clean whether it was being best to his peers and his uh, cohort whether it was standing up for doing the right thing whether it, whether it was building the best uh, you know camouflage areas where he would hide in um, I, I mean you you really and I think
2: that's that's true that's to my upbringing yeah. you know that's due to cuz my mum my was so strict on me you know if if I had to do something I used to complete it and complete it to the highest ability And I think that stuck with me all through my life. To this day now, it's stuck with me. You know, when I'm at work and I get job cards, I need to complete these job cards by the end of the day. And that's my and do it to the best of my ability. And exactly like you said, exactly the same in the army. When I go on a course, a snipers course, I want to be the fucking best. And I was, you know. When I done my jumps course to get my wings, I wanted to be the best. And I was the fucking best. You know, because I, I push myself, I push myself all the time to be the best. And I think everyone, everyone should do that, you know.
1: Yeah, it comes across in the book. It, it, I mean, the guys who served with you were so lucky to have you. You're, su- you're such a good uh, role model and example. Are you a mentor to anyone now these days?
2: No, I, I I've now started a bushcraft school called the Maverick Survival School, because I called it the Maverick Survival School because that was my call sign um, on two tours in Iraq and Afghan. Oh, well, no, sorry, in the two Afghans. And I help people with mental health, and they come down to my school, um, veterans enough, and they come down for free, and I help them. And we just sit in the wood, just talking about it. That's it, yeah. We just sit in the woods talking and just doing bushcraft stuff. And they, it's escapism for them. You know, what,
1: what's bushcraft stuff like catch a rabbit skin? And yeah, like it or... making
2: snares, making traps, doing tracking, foraging, making shelters, everything, you know. These um,
1: I, in, in these other podcasts, you've talked about uh, a suicide and about yeah. ex- extinguishing your own life. And, and as I recall, wasn't there wasn't there a part in the book? Where the car would you you were gonna kill yourself in a garage and the car wouldn't start?
2: Yeah, I was yeah.
1: And that story's crazy too. I'm telling you guys, this book has so many elements. This is not going to be what you think it is. You have to see this book. You have to listen to this. You're going to be happy. It's better than any movie you ever went and saw. Yeah. Sorry, I just can't. I can't emphasize no, it enough. And I tell, I've, I've talked about, I've read a lot of good books, and I talk about this book all the time on the show. I'm like, guys, I'm gonna get Craig Harrison on. You just watch, read the book. Um, can you tell me about that? it is killing why would someone want to kill themselves? Is that because whatever's going on between your ears is intolerable, so you just need to it's get just, away from
2: it? It's just so much, so much pressure in life. Like when you're in the forces, it's a family. You know, your bills are paid for, you don't have to worry about that, you've got accommodation, your food and everything, and then you get in the big wide world once you leave, and that's It's a shock to the system. They can't prepare you for that. And it got to the stage where everything got too much for me, and I thought killing myself was the easy way out. People say it's a coward's way out. It's not. It's the easiest way out, you know, and the only reason I've never done it is because somebody's got to find me, you know, and then the next minute they've got got PTSD, you know, and and it's it's a cascade. It's It's like ripples in a pond, you know, it just gets bigger and bigger from one person doing it. It affects loads of other people. So I'm not a selfish person. I wouldn't do it. So somebody else can find me. So um, this is
1: kind of just a, a weird question off. I don't know, just to hear your perspective. Do you have thoughts on abortion? On, abortion? On, yeah. On abortion, um, like on, on, on killing a baby or, or on, um,
2: that's a, that's a tricky subject. You know, I think if,
1: I mean, you, you know, so much about life and death. Uh, you just seem like maybe you'd be a valuable resource on that. Like I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pro choice guy. Right. But I, but I have this um, conflict because I think a hundred percent, if you get an abortion, you kill the baby.
2: I think. Um,
1: and so, and so I'm just I like, wow. You, like, if, I, and you, I wouldn't want to be aborted. Right. Yeah. I would never have wanted to yeah. be aborted.
2: I think if the, if the woman itself has been raped yeah. and she has a child, she's got the right to abort that child. I think that's, that that could be a good thing, you know? But, um, but it, if
1: your mom was raped, you'd want to be born too.
2: I'm, I'm not pushing back. I'm just
1: exploring. Yeah. I'm, not, yeah, I'm yeah, just, yeah. just exploring this with you.
2: That's a hard like, subject. It's 50-50, it's it's right? isn't yeah. it? Some people yeah. sit on the fence. Some people don't, you know, uh, in the subject like that. You know, that's a tricky subject. You could say, yeah, I believe in it, or yeah, I don't believe in it. But if the, if the child's ill, yeah, I believe in it. But if it's healthy baby, have it, you know? But you've got to think of the parent's point of view. If the parents can't afford to bring that baby up and it's brought up in a shit society, and then the baby's, you know, it's not being brought up well, then the baby goes into care, and then you're stressing the society of careness on the on the government. It's a never, Like you say, it's never decreasing, isn't it? So it's 50
1: 50 C- call me selfish but like i i, I would want to be born like i would want to be born under any circumstance i like i'm so glad that i get a shot here
2: yeah but, um, are you glad that you were born
1: god another yeah. weird question you are yeah. glad you're born
2: yeah but uh, but you don't know no different when you're young do you right right you know no different when you're yeah. you know when you're a baby and you come out you don't think thank god i have been born you know, it's only through years and years and years when you start your brain starts developing. You're thinking because look look at what you've achieved. Look at you now, you know. But if a baby was born and it got put into a pedophile ring or got into child abuse, do you think that child think fucking hell, I wish I'd never been born? You know, it's fifty fifty. Yeah,
1: it, it's um. I can't even, I can't even get my head wrapped around it. I, I I don't. I was about to say I wish I could get my head wrapped around it, but maybe I don't. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I don't want to know so much about serial killers that like I become one. You know exactly, what I mean? Exactly. Like there's only hole, so much I, Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. There's
1: so much. I, I, I um, I want I want to know. B- before you became a sniper, there are these stories in the book. I, I think you were in Kosovo. Yeah. And you had to deal with so many dead bodies and there's a scene in the book where um there was a i I guess a a large family of like 50 people hiding in a tree and someone had opened fire on this tree and you and your troop had come up upon uh, this mass carnage and you had to your job was to collect all the bodies and put them in bags but the bodies there were pieces everywhere and part of your task was to um, try to, like a puzzle, be like, okay, this look, all these parts look like they belong to this little boy. All these parts look like they belong yeah. to this woman, and you're trying to organize the body, the dead mm-hmm. bodies by the pieces.
2: It's 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 hard, it, you know. It's, How do
1: you prepare for that? Like, do they tell you? Oh,
2: I mean that, that part
1: that part in the book is nuts. I think I listened to it three times. I don't know what's wrong with me.
2: We never experienced that you you you're never ready for stuff like that and you don't get taught that you know and tr- when you're in training you don't get taught that it's something that you just start to think on the ground and think on your feet how to assess this situation you know and, was- and, and um and
1: the guy the 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 leadership didn't seem very compassionate towards you at all no it's just like fuck you collect the bodies
2: yeah yeah but like I said, we're uh, we're on tour, and like I like I said before, you're moving a thousand miles now, so you haven't got time to think. You know, you have to do this and then move on to the next operation, move on to the next tasking, and that's what you got to do. You haven't got you haven't got time to sit there and ponder that you've just put a baby in a in a coffin or a, a young child or a human being or something. And you you and then you're walking around the woods trying to find his arm you know, you're matching clothing with clothing and stuff like that. You haven't got time for that. You know, it's like I said, only when you slow down, like leaving the army, then you realize that you've got mental health issues and PTSD, which cause you're struggling trying to, tr- trying to adjust to it, trying to think of what the fuck just happened, you know? Uh, Greg, um, uh, see
1: uh, showing up late bought the audio version just uh, and just getting into sniper school chapter and shitting and hideout I know I loved all of those details by the way just the, the, the Tupperware container oh yeah <laughs> why Why not just piss and shit and just leave it out there why, why, why this One, uh,
2: right so if somebody was tracking me and uh-huh. I just shit on the floor and left it they could see if I was hydrated They could see what food I was eating, if my morale's high, because I'm eating food and water, how long my shit's been there, how long I would stay there for, and which, you know, and then if if I left any sign on the ground, they could figure out what direction I was going. So as a sniper, you take everything with you, and you leave no ground sign at all.
1: Yeah. God, the, the book comes across, you come across as such a professional. Um, you you come back to the UK after 23 years of service there's this article written there's this wave of hostility towards you H- How do you think society should treat um, it's it's its, um, it's military what would be what would be the ideal way? what about these people who who live amongst us who hate the military? I used to be one of those people as a, you know I was raised in California and we're raised we're raised to hate our flag we're raised to hate the police and we're raised to hate the military and yet we bear all the fruit from it
2: yeah yeah i think um we think you know if we never had a military would we all speak in german now you know um Things. I had,
1: if I didn't do CrossFit, I would have never been around uh, first responders and military guys. And I'd probably spill, be the same douchebag. I, I think the problem is, is that people, the people on that side where I come from, they mischaracterize, they mischaracterize people like you. Yeah. They, they don't, they don't see you. They don't see you as human. They don't,
2: I, they don't, they don't know until I'm doing podcasts like this. Or yeah. I my book to feel fucking hell. Yeah. He's a human being. Yeah. Know? And we're all human beings and we all damage easy as well, mentally, physically and everything, you know. And I joined the services not to protect the country, to get a trade, but I ended up protecting the country by doing my tours, by doing my duty, you know, and that's what I've done. And people that disagree with armed forces or the police, if we didn't have these in situ, the world would be in chaos, the world would be chaos. It'd be like an utopia where people are just robbing and pillaging and raping and doing what they want because there's no law and order or no one to keep that law and order, you know? And that's what people don't understand. They'd rather hug a tree, you know? It's- um, the thought
1: now, the, the 50-year-old version of me that you're looking at, the thought now of not liking police is the same as, like, not liking bees. They are absolutely necessary. All, yeah. all produce would come to a fucking halt without insects.
2: Yeah. Done. Yeah. That's well, true. Yeah. That's that's true. And you think how many times the National Guard's been called out because, you know, they, they do secondary stuff that the police do. But if you didn't have the National Guard in America, no one to call out, and the police can't handle it, it's going to be riots everywhere, you know? and. Um, would you recommend uh, all young men join the join the
1: military? Well, I rec- it's a good life.
2: It is such a good life, you know. And you make good friends, and the camaraderie and everything. But if I said to anyone, if they want to join the army, is to get a trade, get a trade. You know, do something that's effective outside the army life as well as in the army life. You know, join the engineers. You know, get all your driving licenses, become a mechanic, do something that's effective rather than being a frontline soldier, you know, and use the army, use the army to progress in life. And once you've done your time and you've got a pension, come out, you've got all your licenses, you know, you're not going to be on your own anymore. You can go out there, and drive all the trucks, build a wall, build a house, become self-employed, you know, and that's what I tell people all the time. You know, the army is a good life and it is a good life.
1: Craig, um, did you like the United States? Did you like your three years here? Where was Quantico, Virginia?
2: Yeah, I was was in Fredericksburg in Virginia. Okay. Uh, um, So that's where we lived. And I I I love to be still there. Americans were fantastic, you know, absolutely fantastic.
1: What do you think about um, gun rights? Is it your
2: second yeah. Our second right, amendment. Second yeah. amendment to right to yeah. bear arms. Yeah. You know, and um if it's in your amendment, you know, I, I believe in it as well. I watched a video the other day of a guy walking into a restaurant with a gun and he pointing at everybody with a balaclava on and he was just taking everyone's wallets. And as he walked out the door, he w- turned around and suddenly shot him. You know, somebody I had saw that
1: video too. Yeah. That was amazing. That was intense. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And that's the way it is. You know, and I believe in that, but some people take it too far, you know, and some people take it to the schools. Some people take it just too far, you know, but right to bear arms is the right to bear arms, but the right to go into a school and massacre them is totally fucking wrong. Totally wrong. There should be a limit, you know?
1: Do you think that some of the reasons the one, when, when the, there's people in this country who want to outlaw guns, right? And the, their their shtick is so obvious, right? If we get rid of guns, kids won't be killed in school. Mm-hmm. They never ever look over here and say what the cost will be. Yeah. So so does that mean that um, when the government comes knocking on our door and tells us we all have to get injections, we can't stand up for our rights and be like, no, we're not taking those drugs that Car- that uh, Klaus Schwab tells us to take. Yeah. Like we in the United States from my perspective, we see things happening in Canada and the UK and Australia that I can't ever imagine happening here, certain restrictions because we all have guns. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and I just wonder, um, I, I obviously don't want any kids to be killed and and it would be cool to, to outlaw guns, but no one wants to talk about at what cost. And no. so until we do, I, I can never, I can never, uh, accept that. You, do you think that our societies are different the way we view our governments
2: in the UK versus the United States. Um, yeah, I, th- I think so. I think where the, where the United States go, UK seems to follow. You know, because you're a super nation, you know, superpower, and so we, people follow you where you go and believe in what you're doing. But um, yeah, I think I think certain things are different. The government, the gun laws, and stuff like that. You know, but. Um,
1: uh, like pe- people there are more accepting of uh, of what the government tells them to do than in this country.
2: It is, UK. but people – believe me, people disagree with the government.
1: They do? Okay, good. That makes yeah. me happy to hear that.
2: People disagree with the government. People – like at the moment, a lot of people are striking at the moment overpay because our, our food prices are going up, but our wages are staying the same, and people are struggling to pay their rent, pay their heat, pay their electric, and pay their food bills – you know, so people are striking. So think, come on, something needs to be done, you know. So, yeah, There's um, I think in every world there's displacement, you know. You were doing a podcast with a
1: guy and he said that he put on mittens because it was cold, because yeah. it was too expensive to turn the heat on.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and your country doesn't make any of its own energy, right?
2: Uh, no, no. We get some from Scotland, I think, and the North Sea up there, but, um, we, many, many supply, um, many, um, get supply from uh, Europe and all
1: that. That sounds batshit crazy to me.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, yeah. like you got to have your own energy.
2: Yeah.
1: They got to figure, they got to figure that out. That was one of the craziest things that happened when Trump left, you know, we were a uh, uh, energy independent country and that was one of the, f- the first things that went away with our new leader. And, and that, that, uh, that doesn't sit well with me for no. some reason. Yeah. You want to be able to fuel your own cars, take care of your own people.
2: Exactly. 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 They call it fracking here, I think. Yeah. Where they just um, look for oils or gas reserves and all that. And people are against it here because it's just ruining the countryside, you know. Um, in,
1: in in these other interviews, I've heard you say you're it's interesting. You say you're a proponent of medication, but yeah. you also say it's not the cure.
2: It's not the cure, but for me, if I stop taking my medication, I massively crash, massively crash. But it's not the answer, you know, but it helps me have a nice day or have a nice week uh, just to be on medication. And if anyone's struggling, they need to be on medication, you know, because it's something that your body's missing. It's not balancing out. And you need to be balanced out in life to to get on with life, you know. It's interesting that you, and, and does the working
1: out help you a lot too? I would think like oh, for yeah, me and cool. for my, and my friends working out is basically a, it's a mental health issue. We, we, oh, we yeah. all work out oh, for yeah, the mental health Yeah. yeah. As,
2: soon as, as soon as I get up in the morning, I'm committed. I go to the gym, you know, and I think the army brought that into my life as well. You know, the commitment and the, and the discipline, you know, but yeah, I do it every morning, every morning, bar weekends, you know, I'm in the gym. and I love it.
1: Is, is the goal to get off of medications? Is there any party that's like or eventually, or, eventually,
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, massively. It ruins it ruins your life. You become numb on um, in certain aspects with your with with Tanya, the compassion and stuff like that. You become numb to feelings, you know, but like I said, it's not the answer. But if you want to get better in yourself, ah, you know, there's there is there is the ifs and there is the buts, you know.
1: So there's an intensity to your life that this helps manage. That's not a pleasant intensity, as yeah. we were talking about before. The yeah.
2: flashbacks, suicide. Yeah. yeah, it just balances it all out. How do balances- How do you get
1: off the meds? You, do you have to do taper them? How, what do you have a plan?
2: Oh, do you know what? I've never since I've left the forces. I've never really thought back coming off them, and how I'd come off them. But yeah, I'd, I'd hope in the future that I would be off them and be drug free. I mean, has it changed? How how long have you been out? Um, eight
1: years. And, and has the medication plan always been the same, or was yeah. it like a tri- trial and error?
2: Um, it's funny. My GP or my um, my doctor, he changed um, my medication once, and I crashed. I was I took a week off work. I was so depressed, so depressed. And he goes, we'll put you back on your normal stuff. When he did, I'll back up again. You know, it's just amazing how much I do depend on it. Um, So
1: a guy here in the comments is saying it's a crutch until you heal better.
2: Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Man,
1: um I just can't imagine how how much you've seen when you look through the scope and someone and you shoot someone and they die. You basically see like there's you talk about it in the book. Basically, you see like someone's face be shot off. Basically, yeah. one yeah. minute they're a human, the next minute they have no head. Yeah, and you're looking at it like a front row seat. Yep,
2: yeah, you can see what they're doing. You can see them breathe, spit on the floor, scratching their bollocks, whatever. You can see everything that they're doing. You own that person. You, you you know, you are God to that person at that time.
1: And and there must've been other people that you've seen in the scope that for one reason or another, you didn't shoot and they were like this close to death and they'll never know it.
2: Yeah. You think, you know, don't pick that gun up. Don't pick that gun up. Then they have second thoughts and walk off. You think, you know, today's your lucky day.
1: You just saved your life. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, Russ Stevens, uh, uh, $6.76 a gallon here in the UK. Welcome to the energy crisis. I think, I mean, that's about only a dollar more than California, but $3 less than, uh, $3 more than Arizona. I don't even think they can have solar in the UK. You guys don't have much sun there, right?
2: Yeah, we have sun. Yeah, people have solar panels. Yeah, (laughs) Sorry. Um, How do you see, do you see yourself moving back to the States, uh, Craig? I'd love to. Yeah, Yeah. I think um, now I've got family. My youngest daughter just had a baby, Uh you know, and we all want to be around her when she grows up and protect her and make sure she has a good life. So being away in America, it'd be quite hard to to do that. And how close are you to a movie? Do people reach out to you? No, really? No one. No one.
1: Not, not, not a te- and, and the the um story is so well written too. It it almost seems like the dialogue's there already.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Did you have you thought about actually just like fuck it, I'm gonna write the script myself?
2: I could do, I could do, yeah, yeah. But I'm just, yeah. Then where where do I go? Where do I go off of that? You know. What about a second book? Have you thought of a second book? I wrote a book about mental health and about my trials and tribulations through life. Uh, since leaving the army, but it was so to the bone. No publishers would touch it. No publishers would touch it.
1: What do you mean? Too raw, too honest?
2: Yeah, it was too raw. It was too honest. I didn't fuck around, you know. I said how it was, you know, how bad the government are, how bad certain charities are against people with mental health, how poor the army is to mental health. And trouble is you walk into a publisher and you go, there's my book. They have a look at it and you go, fucking hell. this is too raw you know people would buy it but we can't we can't publish it
1: why do you think um, people like me like your book so much intrigued
2: intrigued about sniping sniper is a a word that people want to know and people want to meet Uh, yeah i was a sniper i've done this i've done that people want to read about it you know
1: in there there was a uh, a scene also before you were a sniper where you and a buddy had i want to say i don't even remember what it was i was going to say egypt i don't know if you were in egypt or kosovo i don't remember where it was but you and a buddy were looking for a place to sleep you you stumbled upon an abandoned like uh i don't know a former like maybe electrical plant or something yeah and and the, the, the boss guy, the sergeant or whoever's like, okay, everyone uh, go ahead and take a nap. And you and a buddy look for a place to sleep and you slept in this room. And it, and when you guys woke up, it smelled horrible. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We we're there for a couple of days and the the smell got really bad and I had a big, um, you have grain silos out there, don't you? This was like a, a small grain silo inside yeah. a building and it was full of, full of water and we climbed up to the top of the stairs, and we looked down, and it was just full of bodies. Um, so we knocked yes, it over. That's just
1: genocide, right? That's just yeah. like they someone came there, killed all the workers, and then threw them yeah. into that thing.
2: Yeah. So we we kicked the um, the silo over, and just all the water just washed all these bodies out. So we lined them all up and put them in bags and sent them off to the morgue. Um, do you vomit when you see that? No. Smell that?
1: No, no, no. Did, did it, you ever get sick with all the stuff you saw?
2: Not, not physically, not physically. Just, just mentally. Yeah, I think. Then again, I, I go back to my childhood. My mum brought me up. You know, I've cut my knee. Why are you crying? Stop crying. You know, it's only a cut knee. You, you just, you toughen up that way. You know, and I think that's brought up for my whole adult life. Really. Um, where's your dad, Greg? Um. I believe he lives in Manchester, my dad. But I haven't seen him since I was a young boy. Not at all. Yeah, they and, separated. They separated when I was young. You know, I didn't see eye to eye. So,
1: is he is he a big man like you?
2: No, no, same same size as my brother. My brother's quite small. So, I'm the biggest in the family.
1: Wow. Um, and Ed, do you have any desire to? Has he reached out to you since you've written the book?
2: No, 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 no one else.
1: So, you're, you're, uh, and is your brother still alive?
2: Yeah, my brother. I, I don't speak to him no more either. No shit. No. Uh, he took my mum's point of view. So, when I stopped talking to my mum, he stopped talking to me. So. Oh, man. Is, he's younger or older? Older. A year older than me. He joined the army as well. So, yeah.
1: Um, Does that bother you? Uh, the, the the family thing? Like, you, no, no.
2: I switch off. I'm very good at switching off you know with me you get one bite of the cherry you fuck up i'll, I'll knock i'll switch off to you and um, uh, that's me i just do it all the time friends family anything you know just switch off just disown you it doesn't bother me i got my wife you know and that's all i need in my life
1: uh eric banya would be good they look pretty similar whoa eric banya do you know who that is that actor no that's a huge uh, – he was the the big guy who fights uh, Brad Pitt in Troy. Okay. What a compliment. There he is. Okay. He could play you. Yeah. Uh, Russ Stevens uh, from the UK. We have some sun, but it doesn't pay to install the pan- solar panels, really. We suffer from gloom and windless days. Uh, the Germans have a word for it. <laughs> I don't know what that word is. Dunkelflaut.
2: flout. Uh, we uh, have too many
1: flout days in Europe. <laughs> that's true yeah uh i i i i really appreciate what you've done um and what you've shared uh it's it's an honor to meet you you're a great dude your your wife is absolutely right you're so likable like i i wish after the podcast was over i could run next door and we could just like go you know i don't know do you have a beer do you drink at all
2: yeah i have a beer now and again yeah
1: yeah do you do any do you do any sports? Do you do any like uh I don't know, pickleball, tennis, throw the football around? No anymore. Arm wrestle? No, I don't do
2: anything. No. Because of the I, hips. I do my survival school, I yeah. work, and I go to the gym. That's my life,
1: you know. Uh, Russ, Craig, you are not alone, my man. We are all brothers struggling with our individual demons. Stay strong.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, here another one. Josh Brolin. Yeah. Ah, Josh Brolin might be too old though. But another man, people really think you're a handsome man. They're giving you all these good dudes.
2: I think my wife wants um, Tom Hardy. To, uh...
1: Oh, of course. There you go. Yeah.
0: That's, a good, that's a good one.
1: Hey, I think it's going to happen, man. It's got to happen. It's, it's, it is definitely one of the best books I've ever uh, got to listen to.
2: Thank you. Yeah.
1: And if there's ever anything I can do for you, you ever come out to the uh, United States, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hey, do you do WhatsApp?
2: Yeah, I do.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is is there? Um, do you, are you hesitant about giving people your phone numbers? I, I know no, no. we've been doing most of our um uh, back and forth through email.
2: For what I do after this, I'll email my number.
1: And, okay, cool. Yeah. I would love to stay in touch with you. Yeah, yeah no and if, It'd be a pleasure. And if there's ever anything you would like to uh, talk about, promote. Um, if there's ever anything that I can um you know uh, be of, of assistance uh, at all, um, you're you're a good dude. Uh, the planet is a better place with men like you. So,
2: Thank you very and, much.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh check out the book The Longest Kill, Craig. Um we shall be in touch if you don't send me your phone number. Um I'll just keep emailing you until you do. Oh
2: no, I'll send you. I'll send you. All
1: right, brother. Thank you for your time today.
2: No Thanks, worries. Craig. Thank
0: you.
1: Thank you. No. Guys, get this book.
0: It's so good.
1: Yeah, you're enjoying it?
0: Yeah. I think I'm almost done with it. It's it's wild. It's super you don't want short. it to end, right? No, it and it's crazy because I don't know if it's because I'm listening to it on like one and a half speed or something, but I feel like there's like so much he left out. Like there's, right. there's like there's maybe just because he has so many stories, but there's just so many little things that I feel like he's he just didn't he didn't divulge, but. Great story
1: i I think um uh it, it, one of the things I heard him saying in another podcast was it was a longer book, like significantly longer, and they basically just pulled out a ton of stuff to try to make it move faster. but I was never, ever bored. I was like rewinding shit,
0: yeah, I was doing this I'm doing the same thing. I wonder if he could self publish the his other book. He could do yeah. like do like a Heidi and throw it up on Amazon or something.
1: I wonder what his support group is like, like, does he have people like, does he have an agent? I should ask him if he has an agent or a manager.
0: It seems like he's doing a lot of the stuff on his own.
1: Caleb can, uh, narrate the book with that microphone.
0: <laughs> Cause I'm in am in
1: am in Arizona. I'm in uh Phoenix. How is it? For, for those of you wondering, I was good. I've had a, uh, I've had a good couple days. Um, This morning, right before the podcast, we got a a rental house here. And this morning before the podcast, I took my dog out. My family's asleep and I don't want my wife and kids to wake up. So I'm like trying to do all the things, everyone's job. And I let the dog out and our dog is old. It's a little like 13 pound dog. And I let it out in the backyard. And then like, I don't know, 20 seconds later, I'm like, you know, I better check on the dog. And the fucker fell into the pool. Because he's old, right? And he, if I wouldn't have turned around, he'd probably be dead out there. Oh, shit. I know. Crazy. <laughs> I had to scoop him out of the pool and then uh, dry him off and then take him back to my wife. Like, hey, the dog fell in the pool. She's like, yeah, you can't see.
0: I'm like, oh. oh, great. Thanks for letting me know. Oh, well, I knew.
1: She, <laughs> she was just lecturing me yesterday. She's like, you, you know, I, I, you know how many things I have to take care of because you don't take care of them. Like, like what? I should have never said that. (laughs) And it was a list of like 10 things that I should definitely be participating in. And one of them was the dog. I do pick up dog poop. That's good. And, and, and yeah. And actually I I saved a dog's life today. That's kind of cool. How many of you are going to do that today?
2: Yeah.
0: That's hilarious.
1: Uh, anyone else get a Pacific Island chief vibe from the plant behind Savon's head?
0: Oh, you look like that, uh, cheeky head from, uh, Crash Bandicoot.
1: I haven't seen that movie. Video game. Oh, <laughs> better. I gotta walk out with my doc dachshund all the time. Damn, hawks in our neighborhood might try and scoop her up. Yeah, so that's another thing. I do at night. I um, if we let our dog out, I always tell my wife to let our big dog out too, because I'm afraid an owl will scoop him up. <sighs> I'm a first responder.
0: Yeah, because you saved the dog.
1: Oh. Ah, there we go. What's the name of that movie?
0: It's a video game called Crash Bandicoot. Uh,
1: I'm sitting next to Caleb's doppelganger in the Atlanta airport.
0: Damn, that's cool. Uh,
1: Bob, Jerome, Sevan, men don't ask questions. Women ask questions. Men answer. Learn that lesson. Fine. Okay, fine. Uh, Sevon tries to help and almost kills the family pet. <laughs> I don't feel like myself today. You know what's interesting about dealing with Craig is um, I I honestly, five minutes before the podcast started today, I did not think he was coming on because we didn't have his phone number and we were only going back through email. So I thought we were going to do a live call-in show. Um, I did not sleep well last night. The heat went on in the middle of the night. I cannot stand if the heat goes on in the middle of the night. I cannot have heat go on. I would rather wake up in the house, be freezing, and then
0: I turn the heat on. I Maybe just need
1: do you like the heat going on in the middle of the night?
0: fucking hate it, so yeah. like when i since I've been gone, like every my wife just gets into her own like rhythm of things, obviously, yeah, yeah, she like threw a massive comforter on the bed, and like it's it's hot, the windows are closed, it just turns into a fucking sauna,
1: in yeah, right yeah. me no like that,
0: yeah, so. Like in the, for the past two weeks, I've been trying to like regulate myself because I've just been sweating my ass off at two in the morning every night.
1: Yeah. I ended up sleeping. I have, and I, and I want to sleep with covers. Yeah. Right. I I like covers, but, but for, to sleep with covers, it's got to be really cold in the house.
0: Exactly. Otherwise I'm just sweating profusely. Scissor
1: the pie hole. Oh, oh! did you watch the fights last night? Yeah. I don't know if I would say Volk was robbed, but I will say this: there's no way they can say Islam is the pound for pound best fighter in the world. There's no fucking way.
0: No way. I can't believe that. The, I didn't realize that they they were giving that to him as well. They're like, "Oh yeah, pound for pound." I'm like, mm, "No way. No way." That was yeah. that was. Mm-hmm.
1: Here's why: if it goes six rounds, Volkanovsky fucking make just, turns his
0: lights out. Yeah, absolutely. He was I mean, he, he was beating him from while. Islam had his back.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, I'd never seen that. How incredible was that?
0: I was like, you can't tell me that Islam is in control here. Islam is, he has no control over him. Literally, he just has back control. And, and Volk was just beating the shit out of him behind his Beating head. the shit just out like of him. Fucking nailing him in the face. It's like,
1: dude, those were incredible punches. You know who else was incredible off his back? Was um, uh, Yair. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, Man, his elbow strikes are nasty from the bottom.
0: It was gnarly. That was gnarly.
1: I want to try to get Volkanovsky back on. Volk is the ultimate class act, though. Yeah. Oh, he was awesome.
0: I keep forgetting that we had him on. It was like when he was stuck in Australia. Yes, like, like, yes. Or whatever. Yes. It was a, that was a good show.
1: So what said. say? Uh... Someone had said, um, oh, Savon never gets any good UFC fighters on. That's why on that thread yesterday, on our text thread, we had they, uh, all three of the guys. That, that may be one of the biggest UFC cards ever uh, for pay-per-view sales. And we had all three guys in the last three fights on the show. Josh Emmett, Jack Della Magdalena, and Volkanovsky. I yep. was like, yeah, eat a dick.
0: Yeah, that was wild. I, f- I forgot we had Jack Dela, Magdalena on too.
1: Dude, he fucked that Randy Brown dude up.
0: Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did.
1: And that guy Randy Brown was huge.
0: He's taller than him and longer than him and I I couldn't believe I was I was pretty surprised. But he did a pretty good job.
1: Oh shit, am I the only one that likes Caleb's voice with that mic? That well, well shit, you just saved me $300 that I was <laughs> thinking about getting him a new mic. Holy cow.
0: I haven't heard myself with this mic yet. I feel like I should. It's probably
1: That was the Sevon show card.
0: It really was.
1: He did dick. It's nice. Hashtag eat a dick. Uh, uh Caleb's Mike gives me a for my Humvee comms. Let me see who's on tomorrow. Maybe I'm cold. maybe I'm sick a little bit. I don't know. I just don't see. It. Uh oh. Finishing podcast. I'm texting a friend. Maybe I got old last night or something. I think it was just the heat came on. Yeah, no, Oh shit. Tomorrow we have the show with Brian top uh top 100 men with Brian. Oh he, shit. He, um there was some drama around uh there's some drama around Ellie I guess Ellie Turner and Katrin both applied for waivers yeah it's um, like so the exemption. Yeah, exactly so that they could com- like I guess basically Ellie has to do her regionals in uh Australia and she wanted to do it in the United States where she trains. And I guess Katrin wants to do it in the United States where she trains as opposed to uh, Europe. And I guess Katrin got her exemption and Ellie didn't. It's so funny what some of the choices were, some of the reasons you can have an exemption. One of them was for financial reasons. What a – so when you're in leadership and you have control of shit – you do the 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 true leadership and power is not to use your leadership or power. It's like having a gun with six bullets. You do not want to shoot a bullet and then only have five bullets. Your power comes from the fact that you have that gun with all six bullets in it. And uh, the fact that uh, CrossFit has is one of the reasons you could get an exemption of having to do the regionals in your area is financial hardship. Uh, what that does is that gets, I have no, I cannot believe CrossFit even fucks with stuff like that. That is such a huge mistake on their part. It's like a, there's this, there's this, it's really poor thinking. I get it. But, um, you never like we tax cigarettes here in the United States and the government gets the money and people are like, Oh, that's a great thing. That's a fucking horrible thing. Because now the government is in the cigarette business. You're just being tricked by words. It's like they want to put soda tax on there. Well, now the government has a reason to make sure they're now in business with soda. It's not a tax. That's just a word. They're now in business and they get a cut of every soda sale. They get a cut of every gas sale. They get a cut of every... um, You have to think of what the implications are that our government now sells gas, Coca-Cola, and cigarettes. Don't just be tricked by the word. Oh, it's a tax, and we're going to use it to run schools. Like, it's just too. It's it's just idiot thinking. It's just you. You're on the end of just always being manipulated. It's woke shit. And uh, I'm I'm willing to talk it out on why why it might be a good idea for the government to be in the soda business, but don't lie. Don't start off. And that's basically what CrossFit is doing when they're giving themselves that power to meddle in people's. Well, show us your financials. What what are you doing?
0: That's yeah, pretty bizarre.
1: It is so bizarre. This is uh maybe maybe someone will um unfuck me. Oh, okay. Fine. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. Well, I got to go. Um I'm going to take the kids skating. Oh my god, I have the greatest skateboarding story to tell you. In three years of going to skate parks. Yesterday, a kid at the skate park in Arizona took Avi's skateboard and fucking threw it and pushed him off a fucking ramp, a seven foot ramp. I can't wait to tell you this story. I cannot wait to tell you this story. I went over to the fucking kid and I'm like, hey, dude, I just want to tell you something. I want to give you a warning. Uh, My son's a nice kid, but he will fucking mash your face in. And there's three of them and they will all fucking, they will, they will, they're, they look like little boys, but you're a little boy too. And they're trained killers and they will fuck you up. The mom comes over and is like, my kid didn't, like telling me her kid didn't do anything. I'm like, of
0: course. (laughs) I'm like,
1: what planet are we on? No, Avi's so cool. You have to understand he's so nice. He's so nice. He, you he, he would have to really, he's so nice, but my other son, Ari the six or six, I don't know if he's 6 He's six year old. He, he's nice too, but he'll, he'll, if he would have seen it, I think he did not. It was bizarre. It was such bizarre behavior. It was such bizarre behavior I, I, that, that poor kid, that kid's mom and dad need to like get that shit under control. That kid's headed for prison.
0: Yeah. No shit. It was,
1: it was weird shit. I saw him hit a girl in the back. I told the mom, I'm like, hey, dude, I just saw your son skate over there and hit a girl in the back.
0: She's like, pro- she
1: probably was like, no, he wouldn't do such. Yeah, a she, she, she's too in love with him. She was in denial. It sucked.
0: Fuck that kid.
1: <laughs> good, good, good kid was a good skater, but man, what a dickhead. Well, another thing that's funny too is when his when I was over there, his mom said something to him like, "Did you throw his skateboard?" And he's like, "No," and I'm like. Uh, ma'am, I I just saw your kid throw the skateboard and your son's lying to you. But at that point, it's just getting weird now. Anyway, lots of fun stuff to talk about. Fights at the skate park. Uh, how is it that Ellie... T- By the way, I think Ellie for sure should be able to fucking compete in the United States.
0: I feel like she's been um, there for a significantly longer amount of time.
1: Yeah, and, and we when we know Katrin trained for six months or whatever the fuck it is in in, in Iceland. No one thinks of her as a as a fucking Idaho native. But but it's just all fun stuff to talk about. I'm glad I'm glad we have these problems.
0: Problems are good.
1: And then uh and then and then we'll have Brian on tomorrow to tell us who the top 100 best men are. Her name is way more American anyway. Uh popularity contest. Uh really god, I hope that they don't do I don't think they do shit like that.
0: They do some weird shit.
1: Excuse me, they do. Plus, Ellie is a sweetheart. Yeah, I agree. Okay, guys. Uh, I will see you tomorrow at uh, 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time with Brian Friend. Bye-bye. Uh, am I watching the Super Bowl? Uh, oh, watching the Super Bowl with Wes Pyatt today and Gilroy. Are you right? No, I'm in Arizona. I'm in Arizona. I'm in Arizona. I'm going to the game. I'm going to the Super
2: Bowl today. Yeah, 50-yard line. Cool, right?